Welcome to Finding the Faith with me, your host, Frida Donnelly, where we explore what matters. Whether it's traversing someone's faith journey, diving deeper into doctrine, or simply enjoying Christian fellowship, I aim to focus on the good and the beautiful to provide you with some respite from the world. If you'd like to join us live, check out Finding the Faith on Rumble every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. All the links are in the show notes down below. Please remember to rate and subscribe, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Finding the Faith. Um, As you can see, uh, I'm not Frida. I'm her husband, Kyle. Um, And she's feeling under the weather today. Um, I'm sure she can give you everybody more details if she would like to. Uh, So I'm going to fill in for her today. Uh, So today our guest is... Dennis. Yes. Hey, Dennis. How are you? Doing really well. Thank you for having me. And Absolutely. definitely praying for Frida. And sorry yes. she's under the weather. Yes, definitely. Uh, prayers are very appreciated. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, Dennis, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, as we were talking before, I didn't know how deep you wanted me to go and how long you wanted me to go on this. Uh, so, I can, I'll just start. Um, who was the comedian that said I was born at a very young age? Um, I don't know who said oh. that. It's probably not that. Not I that think it's original. like right there. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. So I was born. I wasn't not born or raised in a Christian home. Uh, so um, I think there's. I don't know what the statistics are, but you know, people will often say that um, people are Christians because they're raised in Christian homes. That was certainly not in my case. Uh, my home was not a bad home by any stretch of the imagination. My parents were. Great, um, great parents are, are right. My dad's passed, but my mom's they were great parents. Um, very encouraging of my brother and I to go to church. Uh, we had this old couple next door that uh would ask to take us to uh, vacation Bible school and, and different kids' stuff. And so, my parents probably because it was free babysitting, but they were like, Oh, yeah, go, go, go. So, I kind of grew up going to church, but definitely mm-hmm. wasn't raised in a Christian home. And um, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, and um, but again, it wasn't a ba- wasn't a bad home. Very moral, uh, mm-hmm. very um, good ethics were taught there, and definitely encouraged us to go to church because I think my parents realized that was probably a good thing, and it kept us out of trouble for the most part. So, uh, went to church for probably as you know most of my childhood. Like again, for kids stuff, I remember there was a in a in the the next town over um every Saturday. I just actually remember this. It was kind of one of those memories that gets unlocked in your head. Yeah. Um and I was like, oh yeah, I, f- I totally forgot about that. But this was back in the time like before video games. So arcades were like a big thing and there was this okay, out, yeah. there was this it was probably some local church had this building that and every Saturday they ran this thing called the gap where it was like kids could come and you could play arcades and stuff, and then you had, but you had to sit through like a half hour Bible lesson like at noon. Okay. And I'm sure there was probably pizza and stuff if I remember correctly. But <laughs> my mom would send us to stuff like that. It's like it's hmm. give them three dollars and quarters, and that's good for the day, and it gets them out of the house. And so $3. she was wearing three dollars and quarters. My yeah. gosh, yeah, definitely, so had, definitely. It's like three dollars a game now. I bet you. Right, I can't even imagine how insane yeah. it is. But but you know, so we went to my brother and I went to stuff like that a lot. Uh, once we got to kind of uh, uh, teenage years, we would go to youth groups because we had friends that were a part of youth groups. And and um, probably around the time, you know, it's kind of hazy for me, but around 12, 11, 12, 
I became really good friends with uh, the pastor's sons who were, the church was a couple doors down from my house. And I had went to their vacation Bible school, VBS type stuff, kids programs, things, but I became really good friends with them. So they started kind of coming over every Sunday morning to wake me up, to kind of drag me to church. And so I did that and then got plugged into that youth group. And at some point, somewhere between the age of 12 and 15, people will often say, you know, in, in Christian circles, they often say, like, when were you saved? Like, you got, you know, date and time yeah. and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And I say, well, that wasn't really my experience. I don't really know when that happened. Mm -hmm. I don't know when I really believed that the truths of Christianity were true. And I don't know when I really believed that. It was sometime in that window, but I just, uh, but I remember praying and saying, you know, God, you know, probably some 12 year olds version of like the sinner's prayer that I heard, you know, I'm a sinner, please forgive me and do all this kind of stuff. And I can't remember how many times I did that because you're a 12 to 15 year old. I mean, what do 12 to 15 year old boys do? They get into a lot I mean, of trouble. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's FAFO. Yeah. Like yeah, you, yes. ha yeah you have to at that age. If yeah. not, you learn nothing. Yep. Yeah. And that, and so all throughout that time, it was all, you know, every night it was like, well, what if I told Jesus I was sorry and that I wanted him to forgive me, but I must not have been really serious because I did it again. So I, you know, a lot through that time, I was kind of repeatedly praying that over and over again. And then as I started to get older and start to understand like, oh, wow, if I'm not serious about this, this could have bad ramifications for me in the afterlife. If I'm not on God's side, you know, again, I'm thinking yeah, like a 15 yeah. year old. And so I would start to get really terrified. Well, what if God really isn't happy with me and doesn't accept me or doesn't love me or whatever? And I would go to sleep every night just praying like, God, I really am serious this time. Please, please just ignore what I did the past couple of days, you know, whatever, just please. And then and I always tell people I'm probably articulating this more clearly than I understood it at the time. But the best way to describe it was basically an assurance from God that said something to the effect of like, if I was trying to communicate to you the fact that I loved you and I wanted to be a part of your life, do you think that I would be doing it in a way that terrifies you half to death? You know, that's more what <laughs> Satan would be doing, right? Right. And so I mean, I, at least that's what I imagine. Right. And that, it, it was it was that understanding that just in an instant, I was just like, okay, I, I know I'm good with God. That doesn't mean I'm perfect or, I'm, you know, the things are going to be rosy from here on out, but I never really wrestled with that again. So that was about around the age of 15 or 16. And then um, from there on out, I just kept, um, like I said, I was best friends with the pastor's kids. So I spent most of my time at my pastor's house and his family and got to know his family incredibly well. They're still some of my best friends to this day. My parents uh, joked that they should have split us and who can claim me on their taxes because I was spent most of the time at their house. So um, really was fortunate to be in a home half the time. So even though I didn't wasn't raised in a Christian home, half my time was spent in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. And my love for discipleship and just the word of God, I think, grew out of that. Um, every Sunday, I mean, it wasn't every Sunday, but meal times was um, family meals, and we would just talk about the Bible. And it was just a normal everyday thing that was just a part of their life and became a part of my life. And so then after high school, my best friend, his son and I had said, well, we don't really know what we want to do with our life, but probably knowing the Bible is a good foundation. So yeah. he and I both went off to Bible school at uh, New Tribes of Bible Institute, which I believe you and your wife know, Abby Libby. Yes. Um, her parents were, come to find out, I you know I met Abby last year. 
and come to find out they were missionaries with new tribes mission which is the bible school that i went to so there was oh really yeah i thought that was kind of cool to see that connection and um and and around the time i was at bible school she was a missionary kid uh over in west africa so that was kind of cool to hear her her story and see how it dovetailed with mine but um so i went to bible school as a two-year college and i I loved it Uh, that's really when i um i knew i wanted to be a teacher um even in high school i kind of envisioned being a teacher I thought, you know, when, when you're in high school, what else do you know other than being a, a, a secular school teacher? But then when I got to Bible school, I kind of realized, um, you know, I think I want to teach the Bible. I think that's what I want to do with my life. And so from then on out, I knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't know what that might look like. Uh, things didn't work out with New Tribes Mission. So over the course of a couple of years, I tried different things. Ended up teaching at my local church. So I teach an adult Bible study there. And still do to this day, and probably started teaching it younger than I should have. I wasn't old enough or wise enough to know what I was doing, but my pastor grow into it eventually. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of a it's 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 a it's almost an art. I mean, I guess probably the spiritual thing would just say it's it it requires leading of the Holy Spirit, but there's an element to where obviously young people who come to faith and are growing and maturing as Christians have to get to a point where, or they should get to a point where they are willing to serve and give back. But there's also an admonition in scripture to not um, put people into certain positions too soon because mm-hmm. arrogance and pride might get the better of them. Right. And, and they might, you know, after a couple of years, they may find out, I don't really believe this anymore. Well, now you've put them in a position and they've um, walked away from the faith. So there's a lot of reasons and wisdom to not do that, but, but it is a balancing act where, um, at some point you have to give somebody some responsibility mm-hmm. and they have I mean, to then grow into that. That's just life in general too. Not right. just with teaching the Bible, but that's yeah. everything in life at yeah. a certain point in ages. You know, when you turn 10, 15, 20 years old, you're going to get hit with different responsibilities and yeah. you're going to have to mature and grow and learn and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Yeah. 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 No. And that's, that's a good point. And that's, um, yeah. And it's it's tough because you don't you, you don't want to be responsible. And I have um, definitely, um, you know, people that I have mentored over the years, I would have thought were ready. And then you, and you kind of have to. I mean, I know there's there's no avoiding it, but mm-hmm. you, you kind of um, give them that permission, and you give that, and you kind of almost speak for them and on behalf of them, and you give them a platform, and then things go wrong. Which, um, you know, as I get older, I realize that. You know, I had a professor in Bible school that said uh, that God is more, or that, that we are more worried about our sin than God is. Now, that's not to say that God, God's obviously an infinitely holy God and sin offends him infinitely. But mm-hmm. what he meant was, you know, God's been dealing with humans and human failure for thousands of years. Like oh, if, yeah. I, if, if somebody I know messes up and, and they completely lose it, like God hasn't lost track. Like he's not up there scrambling, wondering what to do. Um so I think failure is acceptable and is out and necessary, um, but it still is tough when you kind of you've worked with somebody and you've put them into a position. So, um, but we have to take those chances, and I think we have to give people the freedom to, to fail. And, yeah, sometimes um, you just gotta let go of the leash and just yeah. let them let them do their thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, around 2014, I, th- I graduated from um, New Tribes Bible Institute in 2007, and then. Uh, kind of kicked around for about five years, four, five, six years, I guess. I mm-hmm. uh, went to school thinking I was going to be a, 
high school teacher. And then about four years into that degree, I was into the program and probably only about a year from being a teacher. I just realized, and, and it's kind of probably God's protection because now seeing what the public school system is like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was just like, I goes, this is not what I want to do with my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm pot committed to this degree, but I'm like, I just don't want to do this. And finished my bachelor's degree um, online in religion and ministry. And then ended up getting my master's degree in biblical counseling. So that's kind of the extent of my education um, as far as biblical education goes. But then I joined an organization and I'm still with called In Faith. And they are the longest, oldest um, American mission organization in America. Oh, wow. So they've been around for, we just celebrated 200 years in 2017. So that would be 1817, I guess, is when they founded. That's awesome. um, Yeah, started over in Philadelphia. A lot of um, American history is really intertwined. I love telling people about in faith because they started as planting Sunday schools, which then grew into churches. And then um, now it's kind of everything. It's any ministry that you might think, wow, I feel like God is calling me to do this ministry here in America. You know, we have people that run summer camps. We have people who pastor. We have people that literally work with shepherds in like Montana who are like migrant workers who shepherd sheep and they, they work with them. We have people who are nice. magicians, professional magicians. That's what they do. And mm-hmm. um, and so that kind of gave me the freedom to, because it's supported by other people. Like it's, that's your income as other people have to support you. Right. So to the extent that I could raise that support, which is not much, um, but it, it allowed me to at least freed up some time to then do different things, to, yep. to do discipleship, to teach the Bible. So I lead a, a home group in this house that I live in. I live in, I was fortunate enough, um, God provided a home like a pretty sizable four bedroom, two bathroom home uh, for single guys who want to just live in community and grow and um, be discipled and learn the Bible. So I've been doing that for about nine years and um, looking to get married, um, Lord willing, here in June. So that ministry will be coming to an end, but that's kind of one of the things I did within faith. I also thought, you know, I live in a small town. My ability to teach the Bible is kind of limited. So I thought, well, the internet's limitless. I could, in theory, reach people all over the world. Um, so I started a couple of years ago doing the podcast and teaching, um, in any forums that I can get online. And, uh, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I also, mm-hmm. I have come full circle and actually do mentor, uh, at a virtual charter school. So I still have found myself in the school system, uh, working with students there, but my passion really is if I could teach the Bible and do stuff like this, where I can just talk about the Bible 24 seven, that would be what I would love to do, but unfortunately there's there's not a lot of market for that. You can't, unless you can find a way to monetize it, which in faith helps, but you know, people, yeah, people, it's not like it's going to sit there and pay the mortgage every single month. Yeah. Well, or what have you, but Joel Osteen's figured out a way to do it. Although one could argue, maybe he's not teaching the Bible, (laughs) but, but uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Interesting character. A um, couple things I wanted to hit on with what you just talked about. Um, yeah. I didn't realize that um, you could get a master's in, um, what was your master's in? B- you said? Biblical, biblical counseling. Yeah, I didn't realize there was a master's degree available for that. Yeah, there's actually a doctorate at the same school I got. You could, oh, really? I could go on and get my doctorate. Yeah, and it's, um, so it's it's a, it's an MA, so it's not a, um, it's a, it's not a full 36 credits. That's my, my pastor has said, um, he goes, well, Dennis, you, you know, you're, you're very smart. You ought to, if you're going to get your doctorate, you should get it now before you're yeah. 50 and wish you had gotten it. And, 
and I'm just looking at it, and, and the more and more, and, and we could get into this if we wanted to, but the more and more I think about it, I actually um, kind of despise the credentialing system that exists in the American church. Okay. I don't, I don't like it, although I'm a product of it, and, I, and it's more of a utility of me or function of me liking to learn. Um, I don't like the fact that the church is set up in such a way that the experts have to be credentialed and okay. I don't I don't think that it should be that way it it's it's too much of a gatekeeping mechanism it um so I mean I, we can elaborate more on that but all that to say I'm looking at if I had to get a do- doctorate I'm looking at how much money I would have to spend an, an MA that I have yeah. is only 18 graduate credits any doctorate program requires you to have at least 36 so I'd have to go to school yep get for my master's three times pretty much double your credits yeah yeah in and, order to qualify yeah, for two, it. two times as long yeah i guess my math is my math is a bible school graduate math not, not, <laughs> not a mathematician math. yeah i so mean it, i have no college experience at all i graduated high school and i've been working ever since i got yeah. out of high school pretty much yeah um so some of the smartest people i know have gone to college and also have not gone to college. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I think that the, yeah. the, the secular world, I think is waking up to the fact that, you know, college is necessary for some things, but to yes. require it of everybody, um, it's just sad. I don't that think the, church, the church hasn't gotten there yet. They still, you know, if you want to be a pastor of anything mm-hmm. other than just a small local church, you know, if you're looking at being a pastor or being employed by a church of a hundred, 150, you know, people, they're, they're probably going to require you to have, uh, a, a college degree and uh, that's kind of sad it's it's prohibitive to other people yeah um maybe one day they'll get there yeah maybe. yeah ho- yeah hopefully but um that's that's one of my goals is to at least in my in my circle is to kind of try to um not, not destigmatize that but definitely do away with that one of the guys actually i'll share his story just briefly if i can he um his name's phil he was somebody who kind of came along in my life when I didn't really know what God wanted me to do. Um, and then sort of once I kind of acknowledged that God brought a group of guys into my life that ended up being a large part of the ministry that I do now. And um, so I just started investing in their lives. Well, Phil was um, not a follower of Christ. Um, he was, he belonged to a, a different religion, but, um, but he was also, his mom is paranoid schizophrenic and he was basically diagnosed with that. I mean, I don't think they diagnose a 15 year old with that, but mm-hmm. he was getting he, there. He was, much. he was there. I mean, he, he got to the point where he did end up dropping out of high school cause he couldn't, okay. he couldn't function. And, um, that's awful. Yeah. And, and so I tell people like, if you were, if you meet Phil now compared to what he was, um, you wouldn't even recognize him as the same person, but, um, he started hanging in a, around in a good way or in a bad way, in, in a good way. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Yeah. So he, in, in 2012, he ended up, you know, for a while he started questioning the, the, the beliefs of the religion he was a part of. And then he kind of just took that plunge and said, okay, well, I'm going to accept the truth of the gospel and I'm going to just trust God. And, um, so that was a huge answer to prayer. Well, then from then on, he was just a sponge and he was kind of like the, like if you are like, man, I really want to disciple people or invest in other people. He was like the, the ultimate, you know, it, it kind of almost spoiled me. Cause he was like one of the first guys I got to do that with. And he was like the best student. He just every day was wanting to soak up and learn. And, and, um, over the course of a couple of years, he got to the point where he, 
he, he kept saying, well, I'm just going to get off my medication. And we're like, you can't, no, don't do that. And he would stop taking his medication. Anxiety would increase and he would get to the point where he was crippled by it and he would get back on his medication. Um, mm-hmm. At some point though, he did, I mean, he did grow and mature and got to the point where he did stop taking his meds. He's, and so when I say he doesn't, you wouldn't even recognize him. He, you know, before he was, if you could picture in your mind what like a stereotypical, like almost like a street person who has mental illness, like long straggly hair, you know, very unkempt. Yeah. Um, now he's very put together. I mean, he's like, he's very, pop- I mean, I did a re- episode with him on um, faith and focus a couple, a couple weeks ago, but um, he's now happily married. He's got a daughter. Um, he's got a college degree. That. He's, yeah. he, and he's now with an organization called Reliant and he's teaching uh, the Bible on Michigan state campus. Oh, okay. Uh, so um, amazing so that, story. Yeah, that that kind of stuff is yeah. really what I what I'm passionate about. And he's got a yeah. he's got a secular college degree, but he's it was just more like I feel like I need an associate's degree to legitimize myself a little bit. But what I what I appreciate about his appreciate about his story is we just did what I think that the church should be capable of doing. And it wasn't just me. I, I don't mean to make that sound like I was the only one involved in mm-hmm. in mentoring this young man. It was a kind of a whole church thing, but. He, if you were to, if you were to, to listen to him, teach the Bible, you would assume he has been to Bible school. Mm-hmm. He knows the Bible frontwards and backwards. I find myself now sitting and talking with him and, and he's challenging me on stuff that I didn't know and teaching me things. And, and awesome. um, yeah. And so he is kind of a proof of concept that you don't have to go to Bible school and you mm-hmm. shouldn't have to go to Bible school to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, there's, there's a lot of good reasons why Bible school is actually probably detrimental to like a story like Phil's because um, when you go to Bible school for four years, you, you stop doing ministry, you stop serving people and you stop, it shouldn't be that way, but that is what happens. People retreat to the library. They just study and they read and it becomes just theory and they Mm -hmm. don't do anything. So then they come out and um, know lots of stuff. They can tell you what the hypostatic union is and, they can talk about the tripart nature of man or whatever, but when it comes to ministering to a person, they don't have the first idea, and they have these stupid, ridiculous Bible school ideas of what they think would work, and then they don't work, and it ends up just causing a mess. Whereas if you're just learning in the local church, you're learning in in, in the environment and what you're going to be living in, in ministering. So, there, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the way you said is that they're trying to teach the Bible as like streamline one way instead of it being the hundreds of things that it possibly could be and it has multiple meanings and multiple backgrounds and yeah 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 and and so obviously it's going to be dependent on what bible school you go to if you go to a school that is like new tribes mission Mm -hmm. they are and you know i'll share this story too to kind of give an example to what you mean they are a um, non-denominational um, mission. So they're not a denominational Bible school. So they're not going to teach you Catholic theology. They're not going to teach you <clears throat> Anglican theology. They're going to teach you the theology that, that they, they believe. And, um, and so they believe in a, they teach from a dispensational perspective. And again, um, just kind of a funny, uh, side note, this is one of those examples where they teach from a dispensational perspective and there might be people in the audience thinking, well, what the heck does that mean? It doesn't matter what that means, <laughs> but they believe it and they teach it so strongly that when you're in Bible school, 
you think it is the most important thing that anyone could possibly know. You need to know what dispensationalism is. You have to know all the seven dispensationalism dispensations. And if you don't, you're not even really a Christian. And then, and then you get out into the real world. And what happened to me literally was I graduated Mm -hmm. five, six years later, I'm living in this ministry house with Phil, who's grown to the point now where he's, you know, he's free of his mental illness. He's, you know, mentoring other people. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to another guy that's living in the house. And one of them found my textbook called dispensationalism. And one of them said, what is dispensationalism? And they both sit down on the couch and I think, okay, well, this is what dispensationalism is. It is this way of studying the Bible and interpreting the Bible that, you know, and I, I'm explaining it and I'm, and I get about 10 minutes into this explanation, probably not even that long. And I'm just like, and it, it kind of clicks to me that like, <clears throat> I've been mentoring Phil for four years and he's grown incredible. I've been mentoring other people. I've never once had to explain to them what dispensationalism was. But if you'd asked me eight years ago when I was in Bible school, I would have said someone's salvation and relationship with God hinged on whether or not they knew what dispensationalism was. And I just told Phil <clears throat> and Jose, the other guy at the time, I just said, this is so stupid. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and once I finally explained what dispensationalism yeah. was to Phil, he said, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. Maybe that's what I believe. But it, it, it did not matter at all, one way or the other. And, right. Um, <clears throat> but that's what Bible school does. It, 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 it epitomizes what Paul warns against in Corinthians when he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you know everything, you just become arrogant. And you don't actually end up loving people. As someone who um, teaches about the Bible and God and everything, um, what is the one of the first things you can recommend to people who are new to Christianity? <clears throat> no matter um, what, no matter what um, denomination they are or what have you, like what's one of the key things that you think that would be a good thing for them to do? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll give you two. Okay. Um, okay. And, and, and pick one. I mean, do do both maybe. Yeah. Um, but one is to get a basic understanding of the entire story of the Bible. Okay. Um, now I'll share. I just did an episode last week where I talked about I, I read through the Bible in 30 days. Okay. Was not I didn't intend to. I, I plan to just read through the Bible three times this year. That was kind of my goal. Yep. And I'm an avid reader, so I just kept reading and reading and reading as if it was a novel. And I just, as much as I would read a novel, I was reading the Bible. And and then I realized when I finished the first six or seven books of the Bible in like four and a half days, I thought, I could, you could really do this. And I found out online there's a, a 30-day Bible reading challenge and what he says in there and what I had experienced too. I mean, I, I had read through the Bible multiple times at this point, and I, and I had a pretty good working knowledge of the, the story of the Bible. But, you know, the Bible covers thousands of years of human history. Yes. It's not exactly chronological, but for the most yes. part, it is. Um, yeah. A couple and, things are a little out of order. I think depending on what version you have as well. Yeah. I mean, if you've got the Catholic Bible, definitely, uh, as opposed to like a Protestant Bible, it's going to have extra books in there and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but once you get past the histories of the in the Old Testament... You start yep. to get to the prophets, and those kind of are not chronological. But um, for the most part, it, it, it tells a chronological story. And, of course, Jesus is the New Testament, so he's after the Old Testament. And, and everything in the Old Testament is leading up to the life of Christ. But but I think that one of the things is that, that this Bible reading plan tell, shows a person is even if, you know, there's a lot of value in just reading a chapter and, and, letting, and trying to learn a lot and go deep within a chapter, but there's a lot that can be gained by just reading through and getting the, the entire story of the Bible, which mm -hmm. a lot of people don't. 
necessarily get. And if you, for instance, if you are, um, if you're, if you're listening to a sermon or a Bible teaching about King David saying, I desire to be in God's temple all the time. I just, you know, you're reading the Psalms and you're thinking, and David's saying, my, my goal, my, my dream is to be, you know, day and night in God's temple. You might think, well, so you're the king, just get up and go to the temple. Like you can do whatever you want. Right. But if, right. You, but if you understand biblical history, the temple wasn't even built yet. David okay, wanted yeah. to build the temple, but the temple wasn't built until his son became king. Right. And just knowing that, then you start to realize, oh, it wasn't a it wasn't a problem of access. It was a problem of he desired to be in the temple because he wanted to build a place for God where God could be worshipped, but it didn't exist yet. So just even something that simple, if you didn't know just even that little bit. So reading through the Bible, orienting yourself with the story of the Bible, just so you can know too, well, how does Abraham relate to the Ten Commandments? Like where does he fall into that story and why do the prophets who come later keep referring to this covenant, this covenant that I made with your fathers. What, what, what is that referring to? Um, mm-hmm. So that can really enrich your understanding of the Bible. So I would say that's one. Um, and you don't need a, you don't need any specific denomination to do that. You can do it yourself. Yeah. You can just, you, you can just pick up a Bible and just read it and just read it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and the other one is to learn how to, and this is one's a little bit more academic maybe is to really learn um, the science of hermeneutics which is how to study the Bible. And, okay. Um, because again, not every, my opinion, not every hermeneutic is created equally. Okay. Maybe I'm biased. I, again, my Bible school and my upbringing <clears throat> taught um, that you interpret the Bible like you would any other book. You know, you interpret it literally, you interpret it with proper grammar, you int- interpret it within its historical context. Um, if you can learn to do that. Now, of course, that doesn't mean Everything is literally like, you know, there is room in that to say like, well, did God really create the earth in in seven days? Some Christians say, yeah, he did. And you have to understand it that way. Um, Literal would just mean like, it's a literal truth that's being taught. It's not something that's um, spiritual that you have to know um, the spiritual, like um, you don't have to have some kind of spiritual insight. You could pick it up like any other book and read it. Now, you know, when Jesus says, I am the door. He's using an analogy. Mm-hmm. You can still interpret that literally, but you understand within a literal interpretation that figures of speech are used. Right. Genres are used. So yeah. learning how to interpret the Bible that way saves people from really spiritualizing a lot of texts that, mm-hmm. well, King David wasn't really a real person. He was just a symbol. You get it like if you're yeah. familiar with Jordan Peterson, he gets into a lot of this stuff where He's yep. just an archetype of what it means to be this ideal. And it's like, no, he was a real person and he lived right. in history and in time. So those two things, I think hermeneutics and um, knowing the story of the Bible are crucial and foundational. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so um, hold on. Let me just put my questions here. So what stands out to you about non-denominational beliefs that caused you to be that denomination? Um, So I think I just fell into it. I guess I didn't know. um, And it probably was, again, you know, I'm not. um, As I've gotten older, I think I've gotten a lot more fluid in my um, acceptance of other denominations. 
<clears throat> probably when I was growing up, I would have thought, no, if you are part of this denomination, um, you don't really know, or you're not as good of a Christian or, or whatever. But um, it, it probably was just a function of the, the freedom that comes with being non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what I appreciate about it now. Um, now the church I attend is a, it's called a Baptist church, but it's, it's what's called an ind- independent Baptist church. It's not part of any over, you know, Southern Baptist is a, is an actual denomination that is under the umbrella of a organization called the Southern Baptist convention. Mm-hmm. And then there are churches that broke off and they might be independent fundamental Baptist while they're their own denomination. They have their own mm-hmm. creeds that they have to subscribe to non-denominational um, and kind of just independent Baptist is just someone who's just like, yeah, we basically subscribe to some Baptist doctrines, but for all intents and purposes, we believe whatever we want to believe. And we're not, we're not constrained. A lot of that stuff is just ends up being church polity and church mm-hmm. politics. Um, you know, the church that I go to might have Baptist on the title, but there's nothing that within our church constitution or the rules of being, you know, instituted in our church that if we were to um, a next generation of people are to crop up they don't have to keep first baptist and it doesn't have to be baptist it can be anything they want it to be so there's some freedom to that which i do appreciate um again as i get older i think i i see the double-edged sword of that i realize that there is some benefit to be gained in having um a history and some stability um i know that's one of the that's one of the the chief critiques of people who are catholic is well, look what happened once people threw out Catholicism. It's just basically like anyone who wants to pick up a Bible and say that they're a church leader, they can just make a church. And and there's certainly been a lot of problems that have that have come from that. And right. uh, so I think I appreciate some of the. Um, now I have a in understanding that um, there are strengths with denominations. Like I said, I've kind of loosened my. The, the weight that I put on denominations. If somebody tells me they're a Methodist and they grew up Methodist and they think that the Methodist John Wesley and all this kind of stuff, the, to me, that doesn't really matter. I just want to know, like, what do you believe? Yeah. If, if you, <clears throat> if you have accepted the gospel and accepted Christ and entrusted him for your salvation, you are a part of the church. It doesn't matter what local church you go to. Yep. And so when Jesus said, you know, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to withstand it. I don't think he meant the Catholic church as it stands. Of course, I'm mm-hmm. not a Catholic. So of course I would believe that, but Correct. I think he means the church. As and I believe, the, I believe Christianity. The Catholic, Christianity and okay. the idea like, you know, if the Catholic church were to completely go off the rails and of course Catholics say, well, that would never happen because Jesus said his church would never fail. Mm-hmm. but I see Catholicism as a different denomination. Maybe it's the oldest one that goes all the way back to Peter, but that doesn't, it, that doesn't preserve its um, integrity any more than, you know, John Wesley's Methodist church. They can go off the rails and they have, you know, I think the most people who are evangelical or conservative would say the United Methodist church has gone completely off the rails. Now there's still good United right. Methodist churches there, but now if, if, anyone who drives around, they see United Methodist and they see free Methodist. And as I understand it, free Methodist basically said, we're free. We're, we're moving, removing ourselves from the United Methodist church. So I can see that the Catholic church could go off the rails just as much, but that doesn't mean the church, I, meaning the body of Christ that's constituted of all believers who have accepted the gospel. And as Paul says, have been baptized into the body of Christ. 
have been put into the church, that's going to continue for all eternity. And that's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm more concerned. Does a person believe that? Are they part of that faith? Um, different denominations, I might think, man, you know, I, I think you're might be stunted in some of your spiritual growth because of what they teach. Um, but ultimately, whether a person's a part of the church, that's a decision that they've made between them and God. And, um, and God's the one who puts us into Christ and puts us into the church. I think as Paul says, you are a part of the body of Christ and God is the one who's placed you there. Like he's the one who's put you into the church. You know, you might be a finger or a thumb or an eye or a nose or an ear as part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. But you're some part of the body of Christ, and God's the one that's put you there. Yeah, so it doesn't I matter. Like what that. Yeah, it doesn't matter what denomination really that you're a part. That of. That was a great answer. Yeah, well, it came from the Apostle Paul. He was pretty. He's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. smart guy. <laughs> it seems like it to me. And, and being inspired by the Holy Spirit <laughs> helps too. Yeah. Um, couple of questions here from chat. Um, this one's from Real Truth Cactus. What is your go-to hey. Bible story slash verse? Bible story. Yes. Ooh, um, I think that probably changes a lot. Um, and now this is kind of a little unfair because you're asking me to limit to Bible stories and that kind of eliminates well, or all ver- of the... or verse. Oh, okay, or verse, okay. Because um, yeah. you get to the epistles and stuff like that in the New Testament. They're not so much stories as they are just Paul and Peter and James and Jude just kind of laying out theology. Um, man, my favorite story. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell my favorite story. Um I always go back to this uh, because it's it's funny, and um, I think it just shows the wit and the amazingness of Jesus. I mean, I love I love humor. Uh, my favorite story probably is the one where the where the the Pharisees. This is probably not going to be as spiritual as as Jess is wanting it to be. <laughs> but um, she's probably thinking like the walls of Jericho and them falling down or whatever. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Jesus was approached, as he often was by the Pharisees, and they tried to trip him up, you know, who's, you know, should we pay our taxes to Rome? And they were trying to get Jesus to say, you know, don't pay taxes or taxation is theft or whatever the first century equivalent of that is. Right. And um, and so they were doing that, and, and they came up to him and said, you know, by whose authority are you doing these things? You know, breaking the Sabbath and claiming I'm doing the will of God. Whose authority are you doing this by? And Jesus, in classic fa- fashion, said, <clears throat> I will answer your question if you answer my question. John the Baptist, baptism, where did his authority come from? And they kind of convened together and they said, well, if we say his authority came from men, we fear the crowd because they believed he was from God and they'll run us out of town. If we say his authority came from God, then he's going to say, then why didn't you listen to him? So then they come back to Jesus and they say, well, we don't know where his authority came from. And Jesus just said, well, then neither am I going to answer your question. And then he just mic drops and walks away. That's probably right. one of my favorite stories just because it's so funny. Yeah. And, and, and I love that. Um, my favorite passage, um, or I'll give you my favorite book, is is the book of James right now. I really okay. love I haven't, James. I haven't gotten there. I'm going through the Bible. We're reading through the gospel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right now, this is my first read through of the Bible. So, yeah. um, James is near the end, so you'll you okay, got some time yeah. to get there. But, yeah. but yeah, um, I, I really love the Book of James. It's it's wisdom all the way through, and just you know, very practical and down to earth. I love. I it. believe my favorite story personally is um, I believe it's in John, and it was when Jesus was like, 
I'm going to take the bread and I'm going to dunk it into, I forget what it was. And he said, and whoever I give it to is going to betray me. Yeah. Then he gives it to him and everybody else was like, what does this mean? It's like, he just, he just he, told us guys. He just told, he just told us what yeah. this means. Yeah. They, uh, the disciples. Well, that's what I love too about the, the disciples is, um, you know, there, you can look at, you can look at it in one way and you think, how boneheaded must they have been? You know, he told yeah. them three times, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified and then I'm going to raise from the dead. Yeah. And they're like, what's he talking about? It's like, yeah, he's talking about going to Jerusalem. And, and then even when it happened, they were like, it didn't until after the resurrection, they're like, Oh yeah, he did tell us this. And it's like, in our inclinations to think, well, what boneheads that they don't mm-hmm. get it. But then you realize, Oh, they're like me and I don't get it. <laughs> Maybe that's the point. When um when we read that together, um, I was like, hold on, we just need to pause here for a second. I was like, he just told them, and then he said, whatever you're gonna do, just just get over with, just do it, make it quick. Yeah, and I was just like, he just, I was so surprised. Well, yeah, and, and the disciples, I was like, okay, whatever, let's and, move on. And it even <laughs> says the disciples thought that he was just talking about like going to get more food, like he told Judas what you're gonna do, do quickly, and like oh, he's just talking yeah. about going to get more food or something. And, um, but what's amazing about that, and, and this is, I don't know if you or Frida have been watching The Chosen. Um, I know there's a lot of no. controversy around that. You know, people, I haven't, I'm not I, sure. I have my issues with it. I, I like it, um, because I think it's just relatively well done, and I like the way that they portray Jesus. I think mm-hmm. they add flesh to the characters in a way that makes them very relatable. Now, people have issues with that, and I get that. I understand it's, um, you know, Romans 14 is a big issue, is a passage that, that I think we've kind of lost in modern Christianity that teaches about um, issues of conscience or gray areas, things that, you know, people might not have a clear conscience to do, but it's not necessarily sin. And then some people are more free to do things. And if you read that passage, Paul's admonition is basically, um, Paul understood that the church is much like a marriage. Um, And I've often used this illustration to describe the Trinity. People People say, well, the Trinity, it's like almost impossible to articulate. It's three, but it's one. So people will talk about the egg with the yolk and the three different kinds of yolk or water. Right. And um, I say, well, you know, we have other examples in the Bible of, you know, God is three in one. But the Bible also says marriage is two people in one. The two become one. So you're one. You are one. God has made you one. But yet you're still two people. Mm-hmm. And then the body of Christ, Paul says, we're many members, but we're one in Christ. So we're millions of us, but we're one. And and so that idea of, is just as God would say, you can't separate a husband and wife. They're one. You can't let what God has joined together, let no man separate. Paul would look at the church and say, okay, you Jews and Gentiles, you can't get along, but you can't split up either. Like this idea of church splitting and doing all this. He's like, that's not an option. Hmm. So you think it's wrong to do this thing. You think it's right. You guys better figure it out and, and get along and learn to not judge that person and not condemn that person and just learn to accept them in love. So the chosen, I feel it kind of falls in that category. Some Christians are just really strong. You shouldn't do this. This is blasphemy. And some people are like, well, I enjoy it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those kinds of issues. And, but the chosen really paints the pictures of these people as really real. And you find yourself laughing at things like oh, that was probably what Jesus was really like. I mean, you, you see it in like those stories that I highlighted and, but the, the the one of the interesting things that they've done with Judas, and they've just introduced Judas, I think, at the end of season two, so he's been in season three, is we think of Judas, I think it probably our church history has painted him this way as like this 
incredibly cruel villain who was dark and just evil and you know and we do know he was stealing money so he wasn't necessarily the savory guy but the other disciples were just denying jesus and abandoning him so thievery is not necessarily any worse than that but right but in the in the chosen he's very likable he's Mm -hmm. he's he's very winsome he's very charming not not charming like he's being deceptive but Mm -hmm. he, he seems very earnest and wanting to follow the disciples and see what's going on and he doesn't quite fit that mold but i think that there's some truth to that because if you consider the story that you said that you really liked you would have thought that if jesus if judas was the way that we think of him as this evil betrayer of jesus is the you know least spiritual person on the planet you would have thought that when jesus said one of you is going to betray me they would have all turned to judas and said come on judas like really you're mm-hmm. going to betray him but they didn't in fact they questioned right. themselves before yep. they questioned judas yep so like, like, yeah like you were like you said if he was really evil everybody would know it yeah they would not have been surprised by it at all but they were correct even when jesus said he's going to be the one to do this they still questioned themselves before they questioned that judas right was the one to do it so yeah um and it's those kinds of things too as you know as you read the bible and just read it like you would you start to pick up on that stuff and um one of the things that i that i picked up that i never again i've been reading the bible for years but i never read before was in the old testament in the kingdom of david and then in the kingdom of solomon his son he has his, his army like any good king has and joab is his general he's and um and Joab's the guy that he, when 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 David steals another man's wife, impregnates her, and is like, oh, I'm in trouble now. Like, let's kill her husband. Send her husband off to war and have him get killed. He sends Joab, his commander, to be the one to carry out these actions. And then Joab does a lot of righteous things and does a lot of good things, but then he also um, disobeys David in some cases. And then when David's about to die, he tells Solomon, his son, he says, um, I can't tell you what to do. And what not to do you do what you think is right but if you let joab continue to live that would be wrong so basically go kill this guy and then this last time i realized joab was his nephew and he was solomon's cousin it was the son of david's wife or sister and so just even when you read and you learn more things like that it adds more literal character to the bible and and things come to life more and it kind of becomes like game of thrones (laughs) sort of I know, like, when you're doing your first read-through for the Bible, you're not going to catch everything. Yeah. I know, and it's, it's going to take, you know, several times of going through it to be able to fully understand everything for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, and that's just one thing I'm trying to keep in mind right now while we're going, while we're reading and just going through all the different books and chapters. Yeah. Um, I think we got a couple more questions here from chat. Yeah, for sure. Um, this one's from Frida, the base babe herself. Hey. Uh, what are some of your favorite biblical resources for those hungering spiritually to learn more about Christianity? Who? Um, okay, so I will. I'll throw out a couple names. Anything by Andrew Murray is good. Mm-hmm. Andrew Murray is an old dead white guy. He okay, was, I, believe, I believe Scottish, but he was a um, wrote in the eighteen hundreds. Um, some of his classic books are uh, "Humility," "Abide in Christ." Um, those are good. And he's just very, very devotional. A lot of his books are like 30 chapters and they're small, so you can read one a day. Um, and again, pretty, pretty general theologically. I mean, he's not gonna, um, 
probably offend a lot of people. Um, but he, he's really good. Um, and two books, the watch, uh, there's a book called the normal Christian life by Watchman Nee. He was a Chinese pastor and ended up dying in prison, uh, under Mao's China. Uh, he has a book called the normal Christian life and it is basically teaching Romans five, six, and seven and eight. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, 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 that book's a little bit uh, cha- more challenging. There's a book called Walking in Victory by a man named Dennis McCallum, who pastors down in Ohio. It's the same thing. It's it's teaching Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, but it's a little bit more accessible. So that book is good. And, and you know, you might think, well, why those random chapters? Um, Romans is Paul's basically ex- explaining the gospel from beginning to end. You know, okay, okay. you're lost. You don't know Jesus because you're and you're wicked and evil and you need salvation. Here's salvation. Here's how it works. And then five, six, seven, and eight is now that you're a Christian. Here's how you grow as a Christian. And of course, the later chapters is like here's how you should live as a Christian. But yep, the, you know, five, six, seven, and eight is here's how you grow. And he explains things like you know being baptized in the body of Christ and um, what that means and, and um, being dead to sin and being crucified with Christ, which is kind of a very famous truth in Christianity. You know, I've died with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, but I've been raised with Christ. That's what baptism actually symbolizes is you, know, mm-hmm. you go under the water and you've died and now you've been raised to Christ. It's you know, symbolic uh, of what's happened spiritually. So those chapters really explain how to grow as a Christian and some deep Christian truths. Um, so those books are good. Um, I would highly recommend them. Uh, another book, um, Members of One Another, is also really good. That is alluding to what I talked about earlier when Paul says we are all um, – we are all um, members of the body of Christ. We're members, individually members of one another. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the body of Christ and I'm in the body of Christ, our relationship is something special and unique. Um, so it, it's kind of a book about what the church should look like. And just biblically, it's not necessarily saying, you know, this denomination has it right. It's just saying, let's just look at the Bible. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. Well, what would that look like? If we, if the church is the bride of Christ, what should that mean? If the church is God's field where he's planting uh, what what should that mean for the church? And so, right, right. Um, so there's a couple of different things. Um, if you can find online, um, there's there's so many resources out there. You know, that, this gets back to what I said earlier. There, there's no there's no reason a person should have to go to to Bible college to be equipped to and grow as a Christian. Um, there, there's just no excuse for it. Um, that doesn't mean you can do nothing and expect to be. <laughs> biblically literate right you have to apply yourself in some way yes you still have to learn but the resources are out there for free okay um yep. so yeah anything you can find um blueletterbible.org is really good um i would point people to that as well it's just a website mm-hmm. Bl- blueletterbible.org um really good and you can get like almost any translation on there a lot of free commentaries that are on there um so yeah that's kind of where i would start i could probably come up with a that's a, list. that's a long list there. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I'm sure Frida's writing down this information right now. If she's not intent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hop over to Amazon and start ordering those books. Put them on the wish list. Yeah. Uh, here's a question for both of us. Okay. What are your, what are both of your preferred Bible versions? Um, we read uh, Frida and I, we read ESV. Um, I haven't read any other versions of the Bible. Again, I'm very new with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been told by countless amounts of people that this is a very good version to read. Yeah. 
Yeah, ESV is really you? good. Um, I, I'll say uh, I'll I'll give an actual answer, but I'll start with the Billy Graham answer. Uh, Billy Graham was asked, "What's what's the best Bible translation to read?" And he said, "Whichever one you will read." There you go. So, um, so uh, every every Bible has its strengths um, mm-hmm. and weaknesses. I mean, there are some Christians who are KJV only, and they'll crucify you for reading anything else. But um, I like the Net. It's called mm-hmm. the New, the New English Translation. It's probably about twenty years old. Um, <clears throat> the strength of it is if you get a Net Study Bible, they have like sixty thousand notes that explain oh, why wow. they translated things certain ways. And sometimes it's pretty academic and heady, and I don't even know what they're talking about. But, um, but it's good. Any there's a there's a strength and a weakness. You know, Bible translations can become money makers in businesses. Anyone is like, I just want to make a Bible translation. But so there's some dangers out there. But there are some benefits to the fact that archaeology keeps discovering better and older copies of the Bible. And the more manuscripts of the Bible we find, the better that helps us understand what was originally written in the Bible. And so the net, I feel like, is a pretty good um, translation, and it avails itself of the most recent <clears throat> translations or copies of the manuscripts that are out there. So um, I like the net. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of up there with, like, ESV. It's more of, like, a academic. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm casually reading, I tell people to read the New Living Translation. It's much more readable, and it's much more very common English. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with what Billy Graham said. Any translation that you're going to read is going to be good. And <clears throat> good thing about things like blueletterbible.org is you can <clears throat> you can read multiple translations at the same time. And that's always good because um, one thing people should know is <clears throat> any translation is automatically an interpretation. Yep. So you got to be careful. Some will, you'll get biases from the tra- translators who will choose to interpret things certain ways because their their biases lead them to interpret them that way. Yeah, because as we're reading, some of the footnotes at the bottom says, or, and it has like a different word because it was translated from like Hebrew, or mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think it was written in Latin. Some some pieces were written in Latin, I want to say. Yeah, they were, they were translated into Latin. Um, the yep. Old Testament was translated into Latin. And then, um, or it came from, um, what was it Sanskrit? No, I'm sorry. What was the what was the, some of the original versions? Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew. original Old Testament was Hebrew, and there were some sections that were in Aramaic. Aramaic. Um, and then sorry, the, yeah. the New Testament was in Greek. No, you're you're fine. And oh, yeah. it, the, if you want to add another resource, if someone really wants to um, <clears throat> to really nerd out and read stuff, uh, Norman Geisler has a book called From God to Us, and it's a book mm-hmm. about. <clears throat> um, how we got the modern English Bible, and okay, you know, and and that's why I really do think that people should. I mean, it seems like it's not relevant, but it is. Um, you know, the King James Bible is an excellent translation. I mean, it, it's a testament to how well God preserved the Bible over you know over yeah. the course of a thousand years, and then they translated it in 1611, and how well it was, and then we you know, over the next 400 years, dug up and discovered thousands and thousands and thousands of older manuscripts, which older and closer to the date of original writing means that they are less prone to error, you know, as people copy the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible, when Christians say that the Bible is inerrant, meaning without error, 
that's a little misleading because no serious Christian thinks that our modern English Bibles are without error. If they were, we have a problem. Okay. Because why does your Bible say one thing and mine says another? That's Well, yeah, that's true. And, and so it's inerrant when it was originally given. It was without error when it was given. But every copy from then on is subject to mistakes. Yeah. Right, little mistakes here and there with translation because some words translate could be one thing or another thing. Yeah, and um, copyists are just like you or I. If you've ever tried writing, you're looking for one thing and writing to another. You transpose words. You misspell a word. If you misspell a word, it, you know, if you mix up letters, God can become dog. <laughs> and, that's, and that's a big difference in, in the Bible. Now, usually, and this is kind of like when I said the net has a lot of translator notes. They, they will sometimes explain, like, okay, we've translated it this way. And the reason why we've translated it this way is because we can know if, if – People think that, oh, there's just thousands and thousands. People will say that the Bible's been translated thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Well, that's not accurate. It has been copied thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Yep. But it has been translated once. Your ESV Bible has been translated once from Hebrew into English, and the New Testament's been translated once from Greek into English. Mm-hmm. It has been copied thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And at first, you might think, well, doesn't that mean there can be thousands and thousands and thousands of errors? In fact, uh, there's there's a gentleman named Bart Ehrman who grew up evangelical and then kind of fell away from his faith and now is kind of like a, a agnostic atheist. And he has a book called Misquoting Jesus and books where he kind of questions the legitimacy of the Bible. And he will sometimes people will say, <clears throat> you know, there are 50,000 known errors in the Bible. Well, at first that sounds intimidating like wow they've really screwed up the bible but what they do when they count those copyist errors is if if we have a thousand copies of john chapter one Mm -hmm. and one copy has a mistake where they put dog instead of god Mm -hmm. and 999 say god they will count that as 999 errors oh wow because there's that many differences from you know that's not always the case of what they do but they play with numbers that way and yep but the so at first glance it seems bad that we've got thousands and thousands of copies. Doesn't that lead to thousands and thousands of mistakes? But in modern translators can do the same thing that other translators of other texts can do. If you're translating, you know, Das Kapital from Marx into English, you know, mm-hmm. we can do the same thing. If you're reading <clears throat> a thousand copies of John chapter one and you're translating in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, I guess that's um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The other was Genesis one. But if, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and you've got 500 manuscripts that say was with God. And you've got one that says in the beginning was the word and the word was with dog. The translator is <laughs> going to know, okay, that scribe was just not paying attention when he made that mistake. Yeah. Common just sense hope, lets us know, lets us know it should be God. You just hope that whoever's translating it isn't dyslexic. Right. Well, and that's the thing is, um, in the ancient world, you remember they didn't have the Gutenberg press. So copyist mm-hmm. and scribes, they were one of the people that, that Jesus often went toe to toe with was the scribes, mm-hmm. the experts, the lawyers, sometimes some translations call them, but they're, they're scribes and that's what their job was. And certain <clears throat> religious, um, Jewish sects, they, they were so serious about copying the Bible and it was done by dictation. So sometimes even translators will know, and we won't pick it up in English, but they have in Hebrew and Greek the same things that we would have in English, words that sound similar. So if I'm talking and I, you know, and I say the word park and I kind of like trail off and like someone's like, did he say park or did he say parka? 
Mm-hmm. Very, they sound very similar. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's dictating, if you've got a orator and you've got 50 scribes who are basically functioning like a Gutenberg press, and you've got the orator up front orating slowly the text as you're writing, translators can pick up, oh, what it's supposed to be is park and the translator or the copier heard parka and wrote park. Mm-hmm. So they can pick up not only on scribal errors in writing, but also in what they probably likely heard and where that mistake came from. And they can correct for those. But in those situations and some really serious ones and really devout ones, because they didn't want to make mistakes, they knew that they were handling God's word. Anytime they got to the name of God, they stopped, they washed and they ritually cleansed themselves and then came back and wrote continued writing. Some had like middle words, so you would copy the entire book of the word, book Genesis, mm-hmm. and there should be a middle word. If you count from the beginning and count from the end, right to the middle, the word should be the word Laban, the name Laban. And if you do that and you've got the wrong word, they say throw it out. You've obviously made a mistake someplace and gotcha. start over. So they had a lot of safeguards in check. Yep. And um, I think it's something like 99.5% of all copy errors are things that don't necessarily matter. They have no bearing on theology. Now there's some that are more important, um, but no, that's why it's good to read different translations and, and, and have a plethora of translations. Yeah. Um, kind of glancing through chat here. I don't think there's any more questions from the chapters themselves. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to touch on? Um, no, other than, um, whether it be about you or maybe your show or anything like that. Um, well, I mean, I guess I will plug the show. Um, it's absolutely uh, faith and focus. Um, I guess it's been spinning down at the bottom right hand corner of the screen (laughs) or left hand corner uh, this whole time. So faith and focus, I think it does pour over to rumble. I think rumble has that feature set up where if I upload to YouTube, it will pour over to, but it's primarily on YouTube. I try to not get into anything that's offensive. That's going to get me booted off of youtube so hopefully in the meantime i'm safe over there but uh i basically talk about stuff like this that i've talked about on here whatever kind of tickles my fancy if i want to um you know today i just talked about um how to change and and what change looks like and and um but trying to do it through a a, a focus of faith so hence faith and focus sometimes i'm just like you know what i'm going to teach through the book of james and i do that and i do a series on that i'll do interviews obviously i had frida on Yep. A couple weeks ago. And um, so I'll do interviews with other people. So it's kind of this stuff. So you can check that out. It's Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. But uh, yeah, I would just end um, last exhortation that I've really been trying to push to people is that I really think that we as a as the church, anyone who claims the name of Christ, needs to get back to biblical literacy. I think we need to start taking that stuff seriously. I think we're facing a point in our country where we are going to have to know why we believe what we believe. And if we don't even really know what we believe, um, that's going to be a problem. So I would, I really encourage people to take that seriously. Um, Again, don't go to college. You don't need to waste four years of your life and tens of thousands of dollars to do that. There's plenty of, at least on on this. Yes. At least on this. If you're going, if you want to be a doctor, you should probably go to college. Please go to college. Yes. Yes. Um, so (laughs) yeah, so I would encourage people really take this seriously and, um, Mm -hmm. do what, you know, you and and, and Frida have asked, or I I think it was Frida asked the resources. Maybe it was Jess, um, you know, take it seriously and take that part of, you know, 
go beyond just doing a, a verse a day devotional. Um, this is, you know, God spanned all of eternity to give us his word and to have a relationship with us. You know, not that there's anything wrong with it, just a one word devotional, but you know, if aliens dropped a book in our laps of the secrets of the universe, you know, we would be doing more than reading a verse a day. Um, so mm-hmm. we should, we should really value and treasure this. And, um, and then lastly, um, understand that the church is bigger than um, your denomination and just your corner of the internet. Even um, it's been kind of discouraging to see on Twitter, myself included the so much infighting, not just in political conservatism, but people who are Christians. I think that it's, if in the first century Jews and Gentiles, which you, we can't understate how we can't overstate how much those two groups hated each other. Mm-hmm worse than any divides we could have in America right now. Yet Paul said, you're stuck together. And so you better figure out how to make this work. And they had to, to strive for unity and they had to love, as Paul says, is the greatest gift. Love covers a multitude of sins. If if anything should be a shining light in the world, it should be the unity that exists in the church. So even on Twitter, you've got progressive Christians and you've got conservative Christians. And you thought that they were the the Jews and Gentiles of this day and age. But in reality, they should. Yeah, it's kind of what it seems like. Yeah. So I guess those kind of my concluding exhortations and what I've been thinking about. So I'll, I'll leave it with that. Oh, nice. Uh, we actually have uh, one more question here. Okay, sure. What's your favorite color? Oh, geez. <laughs> okay. Now <laughs> it's like an ongoing question for the oh, show. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, yeah, it's an ongoing question. Um, It's I, the reason I laugh was because, uh, I'm engaged. We're getting married in June and a woman in my church, as soon as I announced we were getting married, she said, well, what is Pam's favorite color? And I said, I don't know why well, that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> that wasn't the question I ever thought to ask her. I still don't know what her, I think it's green, but um, green is I, a good color. I'm going to say red. I would say red's red? my oh, favorite okay. color. Hers okay. I think is green, but um, I'm going to go red. Okay. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, <clears throat> chat's probably happy now. Alrighty. <laughs> well, I appreciate have, you having me on, and uh, yeah. I'm not free to know if she's still there. She'll hear me, I guess, but hope she's gets yeah. feeling better. Um, yeah. So all of the links for Dennis here is in the description down below to his show, his Twitter account, I believe. Yep. Um, whatever, free to put it all in there. Yesterday yeah. when she was making the Great. show descriptions and stuff. Awesome. Um, uh, do you want to end in a prayer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want sure. to go ahead? You're the guest. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lord, just thank you so much for this podcast. Thank you for Kyle and Frida and just their heart for this podcast that they are bringing together people from uh, different, um, maybe we could say members of the body of Christ and and just kind of bringing people together and um, having this discussion about what what people in the church believe and and the things that actually matter and uh, that they have a, a heart to learn. And Lord, I just thank you for, again, the opportunity to share. And I pray that um, anything that I shared that was of you would resonate. Anything that was of me would um, would not, and it would just fade away. In your name, amen. Amen. All righty. Thank you, sir. Yes, absolutely. Um, as far as coming up, what do, you, what do you have coming up over on the show? Yeah, so uh, I just released one on change, um, on, on how, how we change as Christians. I think I'm going to revisit um, the... Uh, I was teaching through the book of Romans and I kind of took a pause on that. I think I'm going to revisit and teach some of those 
things on on spiritual growth. So mm-hmm. on on Thursday, I've got an episode coming out that's going to be on on spiritual growth and kind of just overviewing that and how some spiritual truths that I think matter uh, when it comes to trying to grow as a Christian uh, that I, I kind of Easter egged a little bit in here just because of the things I'm thinking about. So, and um, <clears throat> hopefully I've got a whole circuit of people I'm going to go try and bring back. I'm going to revisit a Spencer Clavin who was on, see if he'll come back. I'm going to revisit some of the, my past guests and see if I can bring him back on. So, hey, yeah. well, good luck with that. Yeah, thank you. No problem. Uh, next week, um, I'm not, uh, Frida's going to have Hannah on. I'm not too sure um, much about Hannah. Frida knows more about her, so she'll be able to give you more information about her. Um, she will be probably posting it in like Twitter um, over in our Discord server as well. Um, if you guys want any of those, again, all of those links are in the description of the show as well. Um, but other than that, I think we are, we're all set. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming tonight. Um, And stay based and stay blessed. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, kindly do me a favor and leave me a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. My podcast is available wherever you can listen, and it's also available live on Rumble on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern. I hope you can join us in whatever format works best for you. Please tell somebody that you care about about this episode so that I can spread my work and encourage more people. And remember, stay based and stay blessed.